Welcome to the Bookworm Collective. In this episode, we will be discussing some of our favorite spinoffs that originate from books that we have read. So, as Harrison already mentioned, this episode is all about spinoffs. So, um, for something to count as a spinoff, it has to meet the following criteria. So, the first thing is it has to be based off of another already existing work. That work can be anything as long as either the spinoff or the original is a book. And that last part is really just for our podcast because we talk about books here. After that, just being classified as a spinoff for our criteria, we also are saying that it cannot be a recreation of the original. It has to be an extension in some way. So for example, the Harry Potter movies would not count as a spinoff because they're a recreation of the original. Yes, there are some things that are different, but overall, the bulk of the content is the exact same as what is in the books. The last criteria that we're using is that there must be something that connects the spinoff and the original. So, for example, the Red Pyramid books, which are a book by Rick Riordan, which kind of tell like a story about demigods from the Egyptian gods, is not a spinoff of the Percy Jackson series because there's nothing that connects those series together. They just have a concept that is very similar, but they are not connected. So that wouldn't count as a spinoff. So the first spinoff that we're going to talk about is the Fantastic Beast series, which is in which is set in the Harry Potter world. So just kind of a brief overview of the Fantastic Beast series is that um, in mid 1920s New York, Newt Scamander, who is a British young activist wizard, arrives in the United States, and he is holding a leather suitcase that has diverse and magical creatures. Then, in the face of fragile equilibrium of secrecy and the increasing disasters ascribed to the dark wizard Gellert Grindelwald, Newt's precious suitcase suddenly goes missing, and before long, this unforeseen complication catches senior or Percival Graves' attention. Now Newt is Grindelwald's target as an invisible, devastating, and unpredictable menace still wrecks havoc on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, so that's kind of an overview of the first movie that kind of starts this whole series off, but there are a few movies that follow it. And so this is a spinoff of the original Harry Potter series, and it kind of starts with Newt Scamander, who is briefly mentioned in the Harry Potter series because he wrote a book that's called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them that Harry Potter uses um, at one point in time. So additionally, it can kind of keeps this spinoff going because in some of the later movies, Dumbledore makes an appearance and we kind of get to fill out a little bit more of Dumbledore's character. So we are talking about all of the movies here, but most of the overview that Anderson just kind of went through is for the first movie. Um, but these only are movies. There is a book that's called Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them, but it is separate from the movie. 
To start this off, we're going to go through kind of the things that we liked about the spinoff. And we're going to try to do this as much as possible without spoilers. But, you know, there are going to be some details that do get revealed about the spinoff. Um, but we're not going to go like super in depth. So overall, you should be OK. So the first thing that we really liked about this new Fantastic Beast series is the expansion on Dumbledore and how he got to where he was in the original books. So in book seven, which is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, a lot of information is brought up about Dumbledore that gives you mixed feelings about him. And Fantastic Beasts expands on that information more. You get to see Dumbledore right pretty close after the events that are discussed in the original Harry Potter series, where he has kind of pretty recently experienced those things and kind of still has emotions and feelings about those things. Grindelwald is mentioned all throughout the Harry Potter books, but it's kind of like these really small references that unless you were really, really paying attention, you probably would miss, but you're more likely to catch on like a second or third read through the books. And in book seven, it like pops up way more and you hear a lot more about this character that's Grindelwald and kind of the relationship with Dumbledore and you're just kind of like confused about some of the stuff about what way you're supposed to feel you know like does it make Dumbledore a bad character does it make him better like how does this like kind of play out and there's just not time in that book because there's so many other things going on to kind of like flush it out. So Dumbledore has always been like this character that I think people want to know more about him. And I'm really glad that in Fantastic Beasts, they kind of take the opportunity to expand on Dumbledore a little bit. And the, it's more of the before. I'd say that like overall... I've always am more interested in what led that character to be in the place that they are in the current book and then necessarily what comes afterwards. So I'm kind of glad that we get to see what comes before for Dumbledore through this series. Just like what Harrison was saying about how Grindelwald and Dumbledore were mentioned in the original books and how we kind of see their relationship and how that how that is just kind of discussed in the previous books. You can't, you don't, you can't really tell if he's, if Dumbledore is a good or bad person. But one of the things that this new uh, Fantastic Beast series talking about is Grindelwald and Dumbledore's relationship. So you, you finally get to see a story that one includes a new enemy besides uh, Voldemort, and and two, you get to see. Um, how Dumbledore deals with Grendelwald after what happens with Dumbledore's sister. Yeah, so on top of all of that, some of the stuff that we really like about the series is that the wizarding world kind of gets flushed out a little bit more. And I always have really enjoyed like the world building part of a lot of fantasy stuff or, you know, like sci-fi or whatever category you want to put this in. Um but when you read through Harry Potter, they flush out the wizarding world a lot when it comes to the UK and just kind of like this little world that Harry kind of lives in. But you don't get to see like the rest of the world, like what 
is happening in North America? Is there magic there? And that type of stuff gets addressed and kind of filled out, which I think is really cool. Because in Harry Potter, there's like this school, you know, which is Hogwarts. And it's like, well, not everybody in the entire world is going to Hogwarts. So where does everybody else go? And those details get filled out, which I think is really, really cool to see. And it's also nice that this spinoff is connected, but also can kind of, you know, deviate a little bit under like the idea of like, this is a total different part of the world. So things do operate differently. Yeah. And another pretty interesting thing that I thought was pretty neat in some of the, in like the second or third movie, I think, is that you actually get to see another Ministry of Magic pretty well. Like, they spend a decent amount of time in in the French Ministry of Magic. And it's just kind of interesting to see the differences and similarities between the two governments, like, of the UK and uh, the French and the little bit that we saw of the US Ministry of Magic. Like, right from the start, of one of the movies, um, Newt, and I forget the person that is with him, but they they immediately get a death penalty in their thing, and then they somehow escape it. But, like, it was something that we had never seen before, and I think that is pretty specific to the French Ministry of Magic, and it was just kind of interesting to see just another Ministry of Magic that is kind of similar, but is also a little bit different from the UK. Yeah, and what I think is kind of cool about that type of thing is like when you're reading the original Harry Potters, it it never pops into your mind of like, oh, I wonder what this other country's Ministry of Magic looks like. And you don't think about like the way the governments all relate together because they're not relevant to the story. So unless you're like really sitting down and focusing on it, um, these are questions that aren't really going to come up, but it's kind of nice to have the answers and be like, oh, I could see how this world works a little bit more without it having a huge impact on the original books. And I think they do a very good job in Fantastic Beast of expanding and adding things that are interesting without causing any issues for what happens in Harry Potter. Because it's very easy with spinoffs to create like plot holes or, you know, just these things that are like, and why did you not just do this? Um, but they do a very good job of separating. And then one of central parts of Fantastic Beasts is that the creatures are filled out a lot more throughout the storyline. So um, the the creatures, the magical creatures are mentioned in the books quite frequently, but always at random tidbits, and they never really go into depth about the creatures. Like you, you might see a... a a creature just for like a little bit because they're in a class dealing with mandrakes or you might see um, Aragog with being the king of the arachnids or, or that, but you don't really get to dive deep. You don't really get to see um, them in their natural um, habitats or anything like that. And that that's just pretty interesting. And I think that's one of the, big things that drew me to the first movie is because they they brought they they dealt more with the creatures yeah and i think that what else is nice is 
this type of thing where they expand on the creatures lends itself really well to film over books. And, you know, this is probably why the creatures aren't more fleshed out in the original books is because it's just like hard to describe these things and have everybody thinking totally different. And it's not like a lot of gain because it's not super important to the story. But in the movie, they can kind of fill these out a lot, um, which is just really uh, is just really interesting. So while there are plenty of things that we do like about this series, there also are some things that we weren't really crazy about or would change if we, you know, could go back and, you know, be involved in this process. I think that for me, the biggest thing that I thought was hard about the uh, spinoff for Fantastic Beast is that it's not super connected to the original i wish there were more things to tie it in so you know i appreciate that because it's so separated they can make these like changes without uh, affecting the original storyline um and but they can expand but i think that there should be more things that tie in because other than dumbledore there's not a lot of connection between fantastic beasts and the original books, you know, it's just like that these characters were mentioned in the original books and are also in Fantastic Beast. You know, like New is just like this passing reference of like Harry needs to pick up a book. The book that he needs is Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Him, and it's by Newt Scamander. And that's the, pretty much the extent of Newt being mentioned in Harry Potter. And then Grindelwald gets mentioned many times throughout the book. But he's not, like, a huge part of it. I mean, he's more of a part of it than Newt is. But it's still, like, not these strong connections. So I wish that there was more things to kind of, like, tie it back. And, you know, or, like, little characters that could be expanded on in this world that also show up later. You know, like, I don't know 100% what you would do. But maybe, like, McGonagall could show up in here somewhere. And maybe you could expand on her a little bit. So that the story feels like it's doing a little bit more than just filling out Dumbledore a little more. I think McGonagall does pop up in the third movie. She, like, pops up to take care of um like dumbledore's classes when he had to leave okay so you don't do any there's no character yeah there's no yeah yeah one of the things that um i i've kind of started to struggle with with the fantastic beast series is that um the newer the newer movies are not as focused on the magical creatures so they they still have a key plot point around these magical creatures but it's, it's just not like the first one where the first one you get to see all of these different magical creatures like you get to see how different they are from as in the muggle world we'll say <laughs> and like i think we've only gone into newt's suitcase once or we like there's only one movie where we ever go into newt's suitcase it's not like it's, we haven't gone back in the other movies. And while I enjoyed seeing the creatures in the second and third movies, it just it, it's not the same because you're not learning as much about all the others. It's more focused around this other plot that has developed throughout the series. Yeah, and I would say that the way these movies kind of went out, it very much feels like they made the first one and said, okay, we know we're going to make this movie. And depending on how well it does, 
maybe we'll add a second. And, you know, then it did well enough that they added another one. So they needed to, in the first movie, have a plot that wrapped itself up nicely for the one movie, but also had the ability to expand. And the way they have expanded, it's almost like they forgot that they were telling Newt's story. And now it just feels like they're telling Grindelwald and Dumbledore's story. But that's not how the series started. So there's just kind of like a little bit of a shift there. So I think that that um, is a little bit frustrating. But it is nice that you can kind of see the other stuff filled out, I suppose. I would say another thing that I'm not crazy about with this series is that some of the rules that are set up in the original books kind of get bent for the purposes of the spinoff. And without like spoiling anything, like one of the biggest things in the original books is that muggles should never know about the magic community. And anytime even the smallest thing happens where a muggle is even questioning, is this possible? Maybe there are magical people. They like wipe their memory immediately and are just done with it right away. But in this world, it's like totally different. One of the main characters is a muggle. And like that rule is like interesting how they play it out in the movies. But it's also like, why is it such a big deal over there? But in the U.S., it's not. And so, like, those little rules that are bent, it just kind of feels like we're starting to deviate a little bit too far from the original. So the last thing that we're going to talk about for this, this spinoff, before we move to another one, is just a generic question of, do you feel like this needs more spinoffs? So do you feel like Harry Potter in general could have or should have more spinoffs for this world? I think we both agreed on yes for this. And um, there's just there's just a lot of interesting things that are going on in the Harry Potter world. But what we found is when we were um, when we were thinking of like possible spin-offs that we would like to see is that we're not really interested in what happens after the original books. We're more interested in like what is leading up to them. So some of the ideas that we were kind of thinking of is like the founders of Hogwarts, where we get to see um, the founders going through the process of just creating Hogwarts and kind of the troubles that they've had and all of that how different things were at Hogwarts and how um, we see the treatment of Snape and how Lily and James get together and all of that. And that that's just kind of what I am kind of interested. Yeah, I think that for sure I'd like to see like just some of these, you know, character stories filled out a little bit more of like how did they get where they were. And we just didn't think that we're super interested in what came after, you know, Harry Potter actually does have a like spinoff of what comes after, which is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is a play. And, um, you know, that I think is interesting, you know, and I would be interested to see it, but overall for the spinoffs, I'm much more interested in what led to the books and not necessarily what comes after. 
So the next spinoff that we are going to go over is actually a spinoff of Hunger Games. So not too long ago, there was a, another Hunger Games book that was written um, that is called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So here is just a brief overview of the book. So we're just going to read what it says on the back of the book just so you get a a little bit of an idea of what this book will be about. So, it is the morning of the reaping that will kick off the 10th annual Hunger Games, and the capital 18-year-old Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor in the games. The once mighty House of Snow has fallen on hard times, its fate hanging on the slender chance that Snow will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribute. The odds are against him. He's been giving he's been given the humiliating assignment of mentoring the female tribute from District 12, the lowest of the low. Their fates are now completely intertwined. Every choice Snow makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena, it will be a fight to the death. Outside the arena, Snow starts to feel for his doomed tribute and must weigh his need to follow the rules against his desire to survive no matter what it takes. So this book is connected in quite a few ways to the Hunger Games um, books. You know, it takes place in the exact same world, but there also are a lot of characters that kind of connect it. The first is the main character, uh, Snow, who in the Hunger Game books is actually the president of the entire country. So he shows up a lot. And then there are a lot more smaller characters that kind of show up like in the games and things that connect the world together. But the largest thing that connects them is Snow. Yeah, so now we're going to go ahead and go through what we liked about uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So the first thing is that we really enjoyed the added details of the upbringing of President Snow and kind of the explanation of how he got to become president. When I was reading the Hunger Games books, um, Snow, Snow was a very big character because he was like the bad guy pretty much even though even though in the hunger games it's kind of shaped out that the entire capital is the bad guy just everyone in the capital is um is just the enemy but um president snow was always giving katniss um like the bad news always making her basically death threats um for everything <clears throat> And he he just ends up becoming an interesting villain to see throughout the throughout the entire trilogy of the Hunger Games. But I hadn't really thought about what what brought what was Snow's upbringing and like how he got to that position of power because he Snow has been president. The, for the entirety of the trilogy. So we, we don't really know a time where it isn't Snow in charge. And it's just kind of interesting to see how how he got to that spot. Yeah, and I think that overall with like spinoffs or 
expansions to like um, universes or worlds, however you want to look at it. I've always been very intrigued to learn more about the villains. And I think that's just because in the original, like all of the good characters tend to get like really flushed out. You get their backstory and you learn a lot more about them. And the villains are just kind of like, you know, they're bad and that's enough. Um, but what I really liked as this book expands on Snow more, it makes more of what he does in the Hunger Games at least make sense. You still don't like think he's a good guy, but you like can come to terms with like, okay, maybe he wasn't a bad guy all the time. And this is how he like got to the place where he could do these awful things. And it just kind of gives you a better understanding of who Snow is. And I really appreciated that. And I would say after reading this book, if you were to go back and read the original Hunger Games books, you'll see that there's like a like you'll see Snow in a totally different way. And I think that that's like that's like really interesting when it can make you, um, when it can change your perspective on the original. Another thing that I really enjoyed about this book is that it kind of fills out the history of the Hunger Games a little bit more. So it adds a lot more meaning behind how the games came to be what they are when we read them in the original. And also it answers a lot of questions that would come up if you really thought about what was going on when you read the original books. You know, it's like um, in the Hunger Games, whoever is in the games, you know, they always have these mentors. And it just makes you wonder like, okay, if the mentors are always past winners, who was the first mentors? Because in the first Hunger Games, there wasn't a winner before. And so like those questions get answered and um I, I really appreciate that those like very small things w were answered throughout the book and then one of the um smaller things that i kind of just really enjoyed about this book just because i we i got to see how concept worked is that we got to see how the challenges in the games were actually created and um like snow Snow gets to see um, where where these challenges are created, and um, how how some of the these things are happening. And I think he actually encounters some of these challenges for um, for just like it was an accident. He just stumbled stumbled in, and this happened. And um, that was just kind of an interesting thing that um, popped up in the book that I, I, I didn't really think about how the challenges were made or who, who was actually making those challenges. Yeah. And I do think it's pretty cool when like snow has to go through some of those challenges himself, because in the original books, you know, you're like, man, like how could you put people in that situation? You couldn't even survive this. And it's like a little moment of him like having to do that, um, which is, I think is pretty cool. You know, so there's plenty of things that we liked about this book and kind of the way that it spins off of the Hunger Games, but there's also some things that we did not like. And I'd say that for me, the biggest thing that I wish was different about this book is that I wish that there were 
a few more characters in this spinoff besides President Snow. You know, we learn a ton about Snow and a few other main characters, but those main characters do not show up in the Hunger Games. And um, there's just not very many supporting characters. And I think that with a spinoff, it's um, very interesting when those supporting characters can get like these little details that get added to them, that when you read the original, you learn just like a little bit more. You know, so like in the Hunger Games books, there's this announcer that's like a really big deal and is mentioned pretty regularly. And you know, it's like, this is a perfect opportunity to add just a tiny bit about the announcer. Because you're never going to get a whole book just for that announcer. And so I wish that they did a little bit more of that so that the spinoff could like just have a little bit more weight on the world. One of the things that I struggled with is that some of the plot points just didn't have a lot of weight to them because, um, because I had already read the original trilogy and I knew how, um, like, I knew where Snow will would end up. So um <clears throat> so like some of these events that were pretty big for a particular character just like they didn't seem to make sense. It was just like a quick throwaway plot point um because we know we like I knew where the the character would end up. So it just didn't make sense for why the author spent time to write it into the book. It's kind of like when you're watching a movie and like there's a big fight scene with like the main character and you're like, okay, well, I know the main character doesn't die here because then this movie would be very, very short, you know, or whatever. And, um, you know, there's always that like, oh, well, I guess they could do this, but you already knew where President Snow was going to end up. So some of those things were just like, okay, like I, I see what you're trying to do here, but it doesn't matter because I know how he ends. But even in like thinking about this, I think that if you read this book first before the Hunger Games, well, those types of things you would gain because you don't know where the plot is going to be going. I think there's still tons that you miss out and I don't know if you would like this book as much. So I still think you should read the original Hunger Games and then read this. So the next thing that we're just going to kind of look into is if we if we think that there are any spin-offs that we feel like uh are needed for this world. And personally for me, I I don't think there's a need for any spin-offs. It just I think that is just flushed out enough and how with how the trilogy ended, I'm not really curious about how how the society kind of proceeds at that point. And I don't think there are any other characters that I'm really interested in learning about their backstory that makes sense to have a spinoff. Yeah, I would say for me, I don't really think there needs to be anything else added to this world. I I personally really enjoyed reading through the games and just like the stories of all that and just like the little characters that pop up through it. And I guess I wouldn't mind if there were more books that covered like a specific games and just like walked us through that. But I don't really think that it's like a huge deal and I don't know how they would do it and make it like interesting. You know, I think that when we watch the, when we read the original Hunger Games, they're on like the 50th. So I guess like there's plenty of games to add to. I just don't really know what extra 
worth it would add to the entire series. So I don't really think we need it. But if somebody made one, I probably would read it. Yeah, and that that's kind of like the the Gleanings book from Scythe. So um, if you look at the series for Scythe on some um, on some websites or through like Libby, it will say that Scythe is act the the there's another book in Scythe called Gleanings, and they they say that book is like book three point five in that series and that it's just going over like some of the stories of the size in, um, in that world. And it's just kind of going through some of like just random size, like kind of what their experience was for that. And I think that would be a kind of an interesting concept for the hunger games and just like, maybe they spend like 50 pages going through, uh, maybe maybe it's the announcer going through everything for the for one of the Hunger Games, and it'd be like fifty pages per game, and like they would do a couple a couple games in a book. I don't know. It's it's just a kind of interesting concept that they could do for it. Yeah, that would be really cool. And like for gleanings, they're all told through like short stories. Like, so they're all like really, really short, but it goes through like a, quite a few things. Um, and I, I do think that that would be cool. And especially because like you have all of these characters at least started in development. Like every single mentor we found throughout has won the games at some point in time. So it'd be cool to be like, oh, here's like a collection of short stories and each story covers like the most memorable moment of a game, you know? And I think your idea of like the announcer going through them, like that, that would be pretty cool. Um, but overall, I, I don't really think that it's needed. I mean, it would be interesting, but I don't think you have to have it. So that's going to kind of wrap up our spinoffs. And, you know, we would love to hear some of your favorite spinoffs that you have read or, you know, movies that have come off of a book. You know, so always feel free to send those to us and maybe we can have another episode like this where we can talk about a few more. Um, but the last part that we're going to do in this episode is just talk through a book that we read this month and give a quick review on it. So I'm actually going to talk about a series that I've read this month. So um, I... I managed to finish the inheritance game series for all the books that are out right now. And, um, I, I ended up really liking all of the books so far. Um, I read the second and third books back to back and I really can't imagine not reading them back to back. And that's just mostly because I don't think I would be able to wait for the third book to come out because it, it, the the second book ends really quickly and it's very intense and then the third book it just picks up right where it, where well it picks up pretty close to where the second book left off and you you're immediately pulled into that plot that the second book has introduced so there's that and then kind of talking about that third book i really I'm really glad that it strayed away from like the initial mystery of the games that um, uh, Tobias Hawthorne had made. You you can tell that the that the plot for this third book focused on that initial mystery, but it was just kind of nice for a change of pace. And um, 
I, I just really can't wait for the fourth book to come out later this year. So I, I gave um, both of these both of these books in these series a five-worm rating. Yeah, I also finished the series out, and um, I, I really liked it. It's such a good series. So, you know, if you enjoyed it when you read it for the book of the month a few months ago, um, you know, it's definitely worth continuing in the series, you know, if you have the time. And that fourth book, you know, is coming out soon. So, you know, that's always... Um, you know, an added benefit to try to catch up before the next book comes out. Um, for me, the book that I am going to review this month is The Martian. So The Martian is uh, written by Andy Weir, and we've kind of talked a little bit about some of his other books before, but this is kind of his most popular book, is like claim to fame, I suppose. And the whole entire book explores the idea of what would happen if we left a man on Mars and how would we get him back. I really enjoyed this book. It's um, just done very very well but I think the thing that sticks the most with me having finished it is this how interesting the way the story is told and so the entire story is kind of told through a journal or like a video log that Mark makes to kind of like go through what he's doing each day and what he is thinking and it's just a very interesting way to you know tell a story and also just to think back of like if this type of thing actually did happen that that's probably the only way we would know what actually was going on is by reading through these logs and um you know it's just a very very interesting way to tell the story and is done very very well i think the other thing that's like very interesting is that over and over again, people who are very knowledgeable in this type of science have said that it's very accurate and that they could actually see this scenario playing out and that this being like a way to deal with a man that was left on Mars. And um, so I always think that that's like really interesting that you know that like the author like really did their research to um, make it as realistic as possible because it's set in a world that you know, um, very soon we could be in a situation similar to this. There is a movie that is based off of this book, and um, I th the movie is fairly popular, and I would say that, like, the movie is pretty good, but it's definitely not as good as the book, mainly because I don't think the way the story is told lends itself very well to a movie, because it's just, most of the book is just one guy on Mars by himself, and so there's not really, like, a lot of reason for the main character to, like, explain what's going on so that type of stuff gets like lost in the movie but um if you enjoyed the movie it's definitely worth a read um you know or if you're just into this i definitely would uh i definitely would read it um but for me i gave it a four worm rating And that brings us to the end of the episode. You can find the Bookworm Collective on Instagram at the underscore Bookworm Collective and on Facebook at the Bookworm Collective. Feel free to message us what you're currently reading or your thoughts on this episode. Thanks for listening.